The health benefits are marvelous. I like when she smells like I like women thick. <laughs> Amen, sister. Oh, man. Amen, sister. Thick, poofy, and full of cheese. That's how I like my men. You ruined it. It was good the first time. Now oh, you Oh, that's the it. title of my autobiography. <laughs> you ruined it. The Anna story. just would like to remind you that none of the things that we say should be taken as official recommendations. We try to know what we're talking about, but this podcast ultimately represents the opinions of a couple yahoos with master's degrees. It's (laughs) mainly for entertainment. Right. So if you feel that you need help with your own mental health, we encourage you, please talk to your very own doctor or your very own counselor. Get real help. And remember, this podcast is not safe for work, so listen with headphones. Hello and welcome to Freudian Sips. Podcast about brains, beverages, and other BS. I'm Bonnie. And I'm Anna. And we are so glad to have you with us. Welcome, Sipsters. We are so happy to have you here. We are very serious <laughs> this about is a this episode. Serious week. No, it's not. <laughs> it's not really at it's all. It's not really. But we're going to pretend like it's serious. Maybe it's serious because we do have to let you guys know we are skipping next week. So we will not have an episode coming out a week from when this releases, mm-hmm. but we will be back after that. Do you think a lot of people actually do that where they like listen like right when it comes out? Is that a thing that people do with podcasts? We have a higher listener stat on the like day and day after it releases. That, that so you I know imagine. It releases. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. I'm impressed by that. So thanks. You guys are on top of yeah, it. Yeah. Those of you who do that, good job. <laughs> good job for your regularity. <laughs> Now Mom's maybe cons- all about being regular. <laughs> I do enjoy being regular. Consistency might be a better term to choose there. Mm. Your consistency? Your sure. loyalty? Loyalty. Your reliability. Oh, that's a good word. Ooh, so many words that might fit there. So pick the one you like the best, <laughs> Sipster. Tag yourself. Yes. Which one you are. <laughs> but we are going to take a week off. Yes. And have like a replay. Is that what we do? Like sure. do a yeah. the best of? Yeah, I'll put a. I'll put That's a, what big famous people do. <laughs> we have a best of. Yeah, that would require me putting things together from other episodes. I'm just going to link to a past episode. Well, that's as that's a best of. Yeah, one of the best of. And in the meantime, while we're gone, you guys should like look at our merch, buy our merch, leave us reviews on iTunes and Podchaser, and we'll read them. We'll read them when we get back. I was wearing my um, merch, my tank top. That's well, I was what the kids call it. Exercising. What is it that you call it? Stick top. You just is said it, it tank weird. Top? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that thing that you wear, that little strappy number that you wear. When you <laughs> strappy number. That's what the kids call it. <laughs> when you exercise. <laughs> and I was very happy when I was wearing it. I got like a pink peachy. It's yeah. peachy, not pink. Yeah. Peachy color. Yeah. For some of you youngsters, it would be very sexy. To wear in the summertime. It's what a strappy it? number. <laughs> Mom is really getting it with the kids these days. I know. I'm She's on up track on the lingo. The, kids. <laughs> the slang that you kids use. You youngins. Youngins and your strappy numbers <laughs> and your working outs. <laughs> are you going to give me more crap than usual today? Is I don't know. Am I starting it off? I Maybe. think you are a little sassy today. You have a red shirt on today. And I notice that when you wear red, you are more sassy. I get sassy. I get spicy. Yeah. It's like that one episode we did about colors and how they affect you. Yes. Yeah, that was a good episode. You're going to ask me which one And I, was, I do know. I'm not. I'm giving no. you a minute to look at it. <laughs> I'm, yeah, referring, for a second. I'm referring to it that uh, if you wear red, you might be a little more sassy than usual. Sassy or sexy or both. Sassy or sexy. Aren't they one in the same? <laughs> they are not. You could be sassy as hell and not be the least bit sexy. And vice versa. Color is important. 29. Very good. <laughs> I just left, I you I just left mom to vamp. It's like I walked away did, from the I'm table. Like, geez, She's like, gone. spicy, sexy. Squid. Just used to boop, 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 And now for my third musical number. 
And I'm like, 29, episode 29. <laughs> episode 29 is about colors. It's a good episode. <laughs> I'm so sorry. So speaking of episodes, yeah. what's up today? What's up? Well, today is episode 52. Woo! And we're talking today about attachment. Uh-huh. Which is something that we have, we decided to do it this week because we've mentioned it several times already absolutely in the past couple weeks especially we talked about like emdr last week and how a lot of problems come up with trauma and and attachment problems Mm -hmm. um so i i think that we've definitely referred back to it so it's not gonna set the stage we've done little teaser trailers every once in a while and so we're gonna go into just what attachment is this episode specifically we are talking about some of the pioneers of attachment. This is going to end up being more than a one-parter. Yes. Because there's not enough time to talk about like the people who influenced this and also what attachment entails. Right. So we're going to start history and biography kind of stuff. Yes. Okay. I, I sort of did this in our episode where we talked about eating disorders, which is episode 45. I was like, well, this is a really serious topic, so I'm going to have like trivia so this isn't necessarily oh, a no. serious topic. No. But it's it's definitely like it might get a little dry at some points because mm. we're doing two histories. That's uh-huh. what we're doing today, we Sipsters. Do that. We don't. I'm making I'm making mom go out of her comfort zone a little here. But I have 38 fun parenting facts. Oh jeez. <laughs> so at any time, you can invoke, give me a parenting fact. Give me a parenting fact. And I will do just that. Okay. Would you like one as a... Start t- Start it, yeah. Okay. I will say, give me a parenting fact. In one parenting tradition in Maharashtra, India, babies are tossed off the side of a 50-foot temple and caught in a sheet below. <laughs> the tradition is thought to endow the newborn with courage and intelligence. Oh, God. Oh my God. <laughs> talk about, let's talk about attachment. Oh. Let's talk about babies trusting their, their parents. Throw them off of Throw a, them off a, a temple. temple. I just think about all the parents who are so worried about letting anyone hold their baby. Yeah. You know, that first and baby. Then, and then like, it's India. It's like, can, can I hold your baby a minute? Oh, I threw them <laughs> off the temple. Oops. <laughs> Don't worry. They got a sheet down there. It's a big a sheet. sheet. <laughs> a sheet. A sheet. Oh my lord! I'm maybe glad that, they don't do that. Maybe in that goes with like a community. You know what I takes mean? Takes a village. Kind yeah, of thing. it takes a village to catch a baby. Catch a baby. Takes a village to catch a baby. You know, thrown off of a temple. You gotta be a baby to catch a baby. That's what I always say. <laughs> okay, thank you. That was a horrifying. <laughs> they're all. They're all. They're pretty, all horrifying. Pretty much that. Yeah. Okay, so we just kind of, what is attachment, Anna? What, what, what? So the basic theory of attachment is that a child needs to develop a positive relationship with at least one caregiver, which I will try to use instead of parent because it doesn't necessarily have to be a parent. Right. But at least one primary caregiver, they have to develop this relationship with them so their social and emotional development happens normally and healthily. Okay. And that's the very basics. I mean, very. And that's all we need is the bottom line to, to get right started, now, I yes. think. Yeah. We will get We'll go into it. all different directions with oh, it. Oh, yes. About how the attachment that we have as little tiny children affects who we are as adults yeah. and how that affects our, our romantic relationships and our and relationships with coworkers everything. and every which way. Yeah. So it's a huge piece. We often talk about relationships. Yeah. And how relationships are kind of the core of being human. So this is significantly <laughs> I went in totally the wrong direction. You just said <laughs> it's significantly important. Significantly significant. <laughs> Yeah. It's a big deal, guys. It's a big deal. <laughs> I work with a lot of adoption cases, and I always have people who are like, the stuff that happened to me before I was two doesn't matter because I don't remember it. But the stuff that we're talking about with attachment happens from like birth to two. Right. Like that's when we develop our attachment style, which we'll talk about a little later. And we can't remember that. No. Consciously. But it is part of who we are. Right. It's part it's of our how subconscious. We right. So. It's the way it's the way our brain is wired. Yep. Because in the last episode when we talked a bit about how trauma affects our brain and the wiring in our brain. It literally changes how our brains are wired. Exactly. Yes. Like the physical so, structure. So the attachment thing is like that as well. That you're developing your brain in those first two years to the point where it's going to affect your personality right you know so it's huge okay so what's our first history 
So our first history is John Bowlby. I like his name. I do too. John Bowlby. It sounds nice, right? Yeah. If you know anything about attachment, like if you've studied attachment at all, John Bowlby's name has probably come up. He's pretty much the father of attachment That's theory. That's kind of what they call him, the father of attachment theory. Every theory has a father, and every daughter wants to, to mess with that father, <laughs> according to Freud. <laughs> so before I talk about Edward John Moston Bowlby. Oh, that's quite a name. It is. I want to talk about his parents, Anthony and Mary. Anthony was surgeon to the king's household. I believe it's literally like the household of the king. Sounds like it. I yeah. think. Yeah. I, I think it's I don't know why what they it sounds it like. I tried yeah. to research and it just seems like that's what it is. Uh-huh. And he suffered loss early in his life. He lost his father, who was killed acting as a war correspondent. Anthony met Mary in 1897 at a party, and they married a year later. But their marriage was particularly difficult due to the physical separation between them because of Anthony's job. Mm. So naturally, Mary went to go visit her husband for six months while leaving their newborn daughter, Winnie, with a nanny. Oh my. This would be a common trend in the Bowlby family. So, okay, that leads me to let's talk about John. Edward John Moston Bowlby was born to Anthony and Mary. They were an upper middle class family in London, and he was the fourth of six children. So, middle middle, middle child. Kid, yeah. He and his siblings were mostly raised by a nanny. Their nanny was hilariously named Nanny Friend. <laughs> what a great name for a nanny. <laughs> Yeah. You think she made that I, up? I was like, that can't be a real name. It was a real name. <laughs> so actually the nanny thing was pretty common, especially in like upper class upper families. Class people, yeah, yeah, like this this social class that they were in, that was that not sense. Yeah, yeah, it was not weird. Many mothers in this social strata believed that too much parental affection would lead to a child being spoiled. And that is a belief that I think has continued for some people today. I recently started working with a parent who says that like some of the things that the child is doing are a result of too much one-on-one interaction. So huh. that's definitely a thing that hasn't totally died out. Uh-huh. So before our friend nanny friend uh, became their <laughs> nanny friend, the, <laughs> the kids were raised by a nursemaid named Minnie. She left the house when John was four. John would later describe this as a traumatic loss like losing a mother. Absolutely. Because that was, that was who Because the him. nanny was kind of That mother. was his yeah. primary caregiver. Amen. That's it. So, yeah. yeah, it's like losing a mother. Right. And this was when Nanny Friend came about. And to make her name even more hilarious, she was apparently cold and sarcastic. Oh, oh that's so sad. Imagine being like, guys, you're getting a new nanny. Her name is Friend. Yay, and they're like, everybody's yay, all excited. She's pretty. So she comes sweet. in and she's like, shut up, kids. And she's like, <laughs> what? Nanny friend, no. <laughs> My no. name's ironic, basically. <laughs> I'm I very should, ironic. I changed it <laughs> to be even more heartbreaking. <laughs> when John was seven, he was sent to boarding school. Oh, God, that just... It's, oh, the right hits in. keep on coming. Yeah, okay. But this was another common practice for people in his social class. Sure. And it was also to protect John and his older brother, Tony, also went. But it was from the ongoing war, hmm. which was World War One, which I had to ask Nathan about. <laughs> He you was, don't have to. You don't have to tell us. Those he was things. in a dead you sleep can... on the couch, and I was like, Nathan, Nathan, what I have a stupid was... question. <laughs> I thought it was in my in my defense. I thought it was World War One, and even he was a little like, uh, maybe because it's 1914 at this point, right? It's when he was seven. He was born in 1907. That's like that horrible movie that we just saw. What was that horrible movie with the? It's called like 1914. It's called a year. Never mind. <laughs> I have. I didn't you see can it edit that you. out if you want. There's some. They just got a whole bunch of awards. Oh it's, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know which one you're talking uh, about. Just, just basically. I don't like war movies, so I don't. It watch was them. very sad. I don't and like warlike. it. It's <laughs> a lot of war going on. Mom is part of it's, the Oscar committee. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> that's as warlike they're, as I've ever seen. Give them an Oscar for that because they deserve one. A lot of their movie critiques, <laughs> and she's like, it was definitely warlike. <laughs> And then yeah. they won the Oscar. <laughs> She's like warlike. Thumbs up. Is warlike what we're going for? They deserve it. They've earned the Oscar. 
Okay, so I have that picture in my mind of that movie, World and that's where okay. these kids yeah, yeah. were living through, and they had to go to boarding school. Okay. Yes. And at first, John actually said that boarding school was fine for kids, mm-hmm. and that kids in boarding school would feel no different than other kids. But <laughs> that tune changed a little bit. He later said in his work titled <laughs> Separation, Anxiety, and Anger. <laughs> that has a lot of emotion in it. How do you really feel, John? <laughs> That's a hell of a title. Uh-huh. He said... It's right to the point. I wouldn't send a dog away to boarding school at age oh, seven. Oh, my goodness. Seven. Can you imagine that? Going to boarding seven. school when you're seven years you're old? They're a baby. They are babies. Okay. So he was in boarding school. Let's skip ahead to John's career. At first, he was following his surgeon father's footsteps into the medical field, which is kind of a common refrain that we've seen with psychologists. A lot of people in the medical field. Yeah. Yeah. He started in medicine. This was encouraged by his father, naturally. Of course, of course. So his father thought he should study medicine at Cambridge. And eventually, John pulled a full on like, no, father, I won't be a doctor. I must dance. (laughs) (laughs) In his third year, he realized that he didn't care about anatomy or natural science. Oh, Basically any of those things that are kind of important for doctors, right? And instead, he wanted to teach. He took a teaching opportunity at a school called Priory Gates, working with maladjusted children. Wow. And this is something he cited as a key to his understanding of looking at problems from a developmental angle. Understandable. Uh-huh. Like working with those kids, he would be able to see firsthand how attachment styles looked and how right. and how that affected them later. I always love this part of history. And you've always referred to that, like that we see behind the curtain of why they became who they became. Right. Like why, why they, they went, developed the right. theory they developed eventually. Exactly. Yeah, and his was, I, I mean, like that. just the being separated from his mother. Uh-huh. I, I didn't write it in my notes, but I, I saw that like during the, what I'm going to call school year, he would only see his mother for like an hour every night. And during summer, she was a little more available. But in general, he was raised by his nurse. Right. So... And then he went to boarding school. Exactly. I didn't find like if the boarding school was in the same town or anything, but if it was away, I mean, that's kind of like. They probably just saw each other like on holidays. holidays and stuff. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure that's probably right. So after winning awards for being outstanding in intellectual performance wow. in his study of psychology at Trinity College, which is kind of part of Cambridge, I guess. So he stayed at Cambridge. He hopped around several different places of work. He worked in the London Child Guidance Clinic as a physician. This was during World War II by now. And he became a lieutenant colonel in the Royal Army Medical Corps, where he did research on the psychological methods of officer selection. Ah. This work led him to also work with kids who were separated from their families due to the war. So he saw attachment in it that way, too. It goes back to the kids again. Exactly, yeah, that's yeah. very cool. During the first winter of World War II, he began working on his first published work, which I want you to guess the name of, okay? It involved him working with 44 delinquent juveniles who had a history of thievery. What would you <laughs> consider it to be called? How many kids? 44. Something about the 44 thieves. Alibaba and the 44. Alibaba and the 44 Thieves is what it was called. You you nailed it. It was called 44 Juvenile Thieves. (laughs) What about Alibaba? Where was Alibaba? He's one of the 44, I guess. He just fit right in. A bit on the nose. He wasn't great at naming I was going to say, his titles are just like, this is the truth. It's just going to be this. Separation, anxiety, and anger. (laughs) I feel this. There's no thes. There's no extra words. No articles. (laughs) Separation makes me anxious. 44 juvenile thieves. Just, they're like. I like pizza. They're like, John, Johnny, should you maybe like, should we like flower it up a little bit? And he's like, no, there's 44 juvenile thieves. What are you talking about? Why do you think they called him John if that wasn't his first name? I was his dad's that. name maybe? No, his dad's name was Anthony. Oh, huh. he just didn't like his first name. <laughs> so it didn't. It didn't say. It's interesting. But one of the reasons he worked at Priory Gates was because there was a teacher there that he really wanted to work with. Oh. No, it was fine. He oh. he he spoke very highly of him. Okay. Okay, I'm reading this straight from Wikipedia. 
Bowlby explained that one of the reasons why he went to work at Priory Gates was because of an intelligent staff member, John Alford. Bowlby explained that the experience at Priory Gates was extremely influential on him. It suited me very well because I found it interesting. And when I was there, I learned everything that I have known. It was the most valuable <laughs> six months of my life, really. It was analytically oriented. That is the most boilerplate thing I've ever heard in my life. That fits the titles to all his stuff. <laughs> it's very it's matter just of the fact. Way he talks. It's, like it's the way he talks. John, how was your schooling there? What did you learn? I learned things that they taught me. (laughs) (laughs) And that's what the book would be called. I liked it. (laughs) I learned things. (laughs) It took six months. It was six months of my life. I learned things. They taught me things. And I learned them. Okay. Yeah, I I don't think he's And I found it interesting. He's not (laughs) verbose. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. He does not use... very concise, Very creative language. Maybe that's attachment problems. You don't use a lot of extra (laughs) adjectives and... I don't like adjectives because I I, didn't have a good relationship with my mom. I did not attach to my mother, therefore I do not like adjectives. (laughs) Adjectives remind me of my mother. Anger. (laughs) Anger. Fear. Anxiety. I could not find where it said, like, why he cast off his first name. Cast off the name Edgewood. I didn't even know that was his I name. I don't know. I think that... I just thought it was John Bowlby. I've, I've definitely, especially as my peer group ha- is having kids, uh-huh. that is a thing that people do. They name some someone something, and then they just... They from don't the call beginning, them that. use them their middle name. Yeah, what, why? why? I don't understand that either. <laughs> I don't get it. But that could have been because there have been other psychologists we've talked about where it's like, and this is the reason they changed their name. Like right. we talked about Hamburger. Burger. Yeah. yeah. Burgerman. That's the first one that the came Bergerman. to my mind. The Burgerman. The good Burgerman. So there's usually reasons, and they usually elaborate on those reasons, but that was never, and they only called him Edward in like the very beginning when they're using when he his was full born. name. Yeah. Okay. No, I mean like the, the beginning of the article I was reading. Oh. Like, it's not like they were ever like, oh, my son, Edward. Yeah. Although someone would be like, Mary, what about your son, Edward? And she's like, who? <laughs> I, don't, I don't have a kid named Edward, do I? <laughs> they're, they're somewhere. <laughs> I think boarding school, maybe. Board- I'm not maybe? sure. Maybe? Maybe in the backyard somewhere <laughs> with the Ask my friend. husband. And they're like, where's your husband? And she's like, who? <laughs> <laughs> Mary had issues. Mary had a little baggage. Mary had a little no baggage. baggage. Little baggage. <laughs> Didn't work so well. No, but I got your drift. Was good. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. Okay, let's go back to 44 Juvenile Thieves. Okay. It was called 44 Juvenile Thieves because I that's like what it was gypsies about. gypsies when you say that. <laughs> like a like, band of gypsy boys. Scheherazade are- and her Thousand and One Tales. <laughs> so he compared them to controls. So kids who did not have a history of stealing but were being treated at the same place. He found that 17 of the 44 uh, thieves <laughs> seems like a not a kind great of way. a neg- not politically correct <laughs> stealing juveniles. I don't know little little street rats had early and prolonged separation from their primary caregiver before age five. That's 17 of the 44. Wow. One thing he did was he sorted the kids into character types, which I wish they would have told me more about and they didn't really. The the six character types were normal, depressed, circular, Cir- hyperthymic, affectionless, and schizoid. Wow. I, I know that's a lot of words. Uh, schizoid I know means like aloof. There's like a schizoid personality right. disorder. I don't know what the hell circular means. That's the one that was the most weird for me. It really didn't explain I think much just about leave it, it that you don't know what it means yeah so those were those were the types but the one I want to focus on is the affectionless one of the 14 kids typed as affectionless 12 of them had experienced complete and prolonged separation before age five that makes perfect sense so like total 17 of 44 right and 12 of those were categorized as affectionless like that's huge that's huge yeah that's huge So this work with these kids led him to writing the World Health Organization's report on the mental health of homeless children in post-war Europe. His report was titled Maternal Care and Mental Health in 1951. 
His main thesis of this was that children's experiences of interpersonal relationships are crucial to their psychological development getting older, which, like I said, is kind of the root of attachment theory. Right, right. Um, he even like went on to talk about how if he had had more empirical evidence, he would have included that in the report and that report would have been better. But this was like predating his development of attachment theory, so it wasn't really a theory by then. Right. So he was just kind of going off of what he had seen. information, yes. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was controversial. I mean, before this, the theory was psychoanalytic in nature. So psychoanalysts did not like John Bowlby. Right. But the psychoanalytic theory said that infants' internal lives were based in fantasy, not in real life. I guess because they don't have you, the comprehension. You don't remember it. and it. I, I guess. I guess. And there were still critics even at this time who disagreed with the notion of maternal or caregiver love being mm-hmm. needed to function normally. Mm. Like there were still people who, well, what I said before about like if you give them too much love. And that's that's an idea that's persisted a long time. I mean, even until very recently, if a baby's crying in the crib, you let them cry let it them out. Let them cry, yeah. Which now as we do more research on attachment, we know that like, no, if your baby's crying, they are relying on you to take care of their needs. You should go hold them. Mm-hmm. So, like, we know now that that affection is not going to give them. It's it's not like spare the rod, spoil the child situation. It's go hug your kid. Right. So John's basics of attachment theory were laid out in what's called the Attachment and Loss Trilogy. In 1969, Attachment came out. In 1972... The hits keep rolling with these titles. Separation, Anxiety, and Loss came out in 1972. In 1980, Loss, Sadness, and Depression came out. (laughs) I don't want to laugh. That's so funny. But like, the titles are a little funny. Yeah, the titles need a little work, Titles need to workshop the titles a little bit, buddy. Mm -hmm. But he knew what he was talking about. Oh, yeah, for sure. He definitely was hitting the nail on the head here. I mean, this was, you know, 40 years ago at this point, and the research has just solidified it as time has gone on. Exactly. So the basics are that attachment develops in infancy, like I said before, and that the attachment process is mainly that the infants are proximity-seeking to someone identified as their attachment figure. And this is mainly for survival. I mean, for, for babies... I cry because I need something and I know that a person is going to come and take care of this need. Right. And it makes sense that when John was doing most of his research, that would have been the mother almost oh, all yeah. the time. Yeah. Because and, it, and even still. And it's even still. Usually it kind of the is. mom. Yeah. Right. Hopefully so, we're getting so to we're, a place where it's dad We're careful too. to say the caregiver because things have changed somewhat in society. And not only that, but in situations where maybe they're, the mother is uh, not even uh, Yeah, I was going to say we use picture. caregiver, I mean, like, not only for a dad's doing most of the caregiving, but mm-hmm. also for adoption cases. Right. I mean, they're the primary caregiver for this child. Exactly. So it doesn't have really to do with blood relation. Right. Um, often we try to maintain that as a connection because that is important but it's not like that is a prerequisite for being the primary caregiver exactly uh the attachment happens with adults the infant can tell are sensitive and responsive in social interactions so again if the baby cries they know that someone's going to come pick them up Mm -hmm. as well as people who are consistent from the time period from about six months to two years that's kind of the time where this solidifies and if they don't get that consistent care they learn that they can't rely on consistent care. Right. So even if they can't remember it, that's built into their that's, brains. That's how their brain is wired Exactly, now. that they can't rely on that. Uh-huh. So as the infant grows to a toddler, they use the attachment figure as a secure base from which to explore. And I want to think back to Harlow's monkeys in episode uh-huh. 35, uh-huh. where they had the cloth monkey. And when they had the cloth monkey, the baby monkey would, would cling to it. And if there was a scary situation, like if they introduced something to the environment that was scary, they would kind of hug the cloth monkey and then they would go away from it and go investigate the thing. And if they got scared, they would go back to the cloth monkey. That was their secure base. Right. Or even if the wire monkey had the food, they would go back to the cloth monkey right. as soon as they had Because that gotten, was their attachment. Yeah, that, right. was their, that was their comfort zone. Right. But another theorist actually talked more about that, and I will let mom take care of that in just a moment. But some final notes about John. He married a woman named Ursula Longstaff. Great well, name. great name. Poor name, right? Yeah. <laughs> What was her real name? Because that sounds <laughs> yeah. like her poor name. <laughs> Ursula. That's a great name. Ursula Longstaff. He should have taken her name. John yeah, Longstaff. Longstaff. <laughs> Teaches us about attachment. 
Oh, it just keeps getting better and better. <laughs> she was the daughter of a surgeon as well, which I thought was interesting. Huh. Uh, they married in April 1938, and they had four children. One of his kids, Sir Richard Bowlby, became a baronet. Wow. Which is apparent from what I could tell. So did he marry a baronet? No, no baronet is was passed down from, I'm going to get this wrong. It was Richard's uncle. Okay. So John's father passed it to the uncle. Okay. So the older brother. All right. And then. He didn't have children. He didn't have, so a, he he had, didn't have he gave, a male lineage. There you go. So he had to give it to his brother's son. Yes. So okay. he gave it to his nephew. I see. So from what I could see. A baronet is a, it's a house, like a title that was given to the Bowlby family. Like when I clicked through to this link, it was called the Bowlby Baronet, <laughs> which is great. That's great. That's a, that's a breakfast cereal, right? <laughs> so a baronet is apparently a titled British order that's functionally a commoner, but they can use the title sir. <laughs> so... Huh. They literally have no. There's nothing special. No, like it's just... no, no benefits, no rights that have come with that. They can just call themselves sir. Well, you so know, good you job. Take what you can get, Sir Richard Bowlby. Good job. And a final note: a mountain in Kyrgyzstan has been named after John. A whole mountain, Borkelday Mountain region between Kyrgyzstan and China, has Mount John Bowlby and Peak Mary Ainsworth. Oh my gosh! Right next to each other. It's real cute. So speaking of Mary Ainsworth. Wait a minute, where is that? It's like on the the border of China. Why why did they choose to do that? I I don't know. (laughs) Because I don't remember seeing China in any of my notes about where they did their research or anything. Mount John Bowlby. That's pretty amazing. I chose to officially name the last two peaks we climbed Mount John Bowlby and Peak Mary Ainsworth in honor of two of my theory and research heroes. Bowlby is the higher snow-capped mountain to the left and Ainsworth is the second lower snow-capped mountain to the right of Bowlby. So just somebody who climbed it got to name it? Yeah. And they were like, hey, dude. Bjorn Holmes. Oh, wrong. PhD. Okay, Assistant we'll professor in the Who Department also climbed mountains. He was in a psychologist Scotland. who climbed yeah, mountains. Some, Mom, they can do other things. <laughs> in what? Sometimes when do you they have climb time? mountains. Sometimes they have podcasts. <laughs> when do you have time between your clients to climb a mountain? <laughs> Where, That's what I want to know. They do telehealth. They just like <laughs> Skype them in. It's like, whoosh, They're like, talk, I've had a really hard week. Where are you? <laughs> it's like, I'm on a mountain. Keep talking. <laughs> your beard is frozen. It's, it's fine. okay. It's fine. So before I jump into Mary's information, you want to give us another a couple of parent facts? Oh, sure. Parent, whatever those were called. I forgot. Parent facts. Parent fun, facts. Fun parent facts. Fun parent facts. Do you want to see the mountains? Yes, I do. Wow. Pretty, right? They are pretty. I'd like to have a mountain named after me. Maybe someday. I'd like to have two mountains named after me. <laughs> you can have two and I'll have one. <laughs> we need to find a mountain range with two, three mountains. Give me a number between one and 38. 32. All right. Parents in the United States use a lot of diapers on their babies. About 3.5 million tons of landfill waste per year. Oh, that's depressing. That's a lot of poop. <laughs> that's so much poop. <laughs> we should think of something better for that. Okay, now do 15. European and American babies of the early 1900s were given lard baths by their parents. Oh. That sounds horrible. Why? It's truly bad. To soften their skin, maybe? I would, that's what I'm thinking. That's got to be it, but right? But God, that'd be gross. Babies' skins are soft anyway. They put skins. lard on them. Skins. Yeah. <laughs> All of their skins. All their skins. <laughs> okay, do one more. Do number seven. A popular parenting tradition in Ireland is to sprinkle a crumbled piece of the parent's wedding cake on top of the newborn's head while the baby is being baptized. This is to symbolize the circle of life. In America, we just hold them up and we sing that song from Lion King. Uh, That's the simple circle of life. Yeah. That one might be my favorite, though. I'm glad you picked seven. The wedding cake one. The wedding cake. Sprinkle the wedding cake on their head. And then dunk them in water so you got soggy wedding cake. So then you got, like, stuff floating in the water. And it's like, what is that? Just pieces of my wedding cake. Okay. Should I jump in? Yes, please. Let me tell you about Mary Ainsworth. Because okay. if Bowlby was the father of attachment theory, then Mary is the mother <laughs> of attachment theory. I actually saw that on a website. So <laughs> I, had to, I had to say that. Because basically what Mary 
set about doing was to take Bowlby's ideas and to expand the theory and add some bits to it so that it would be easier to label and easier to... Like easier digestible. There you go. Public. Exactly. For lay people to understand and to give it some titles and some words and, and also to make it so that research proves that this is really true. Right. So she kind of set that all up. So here's the history. I was waiting for you to give me a place to put that in. Okay. Mary Dinsmore Salter was her name before she was married. She was born actually in Glendale, Ohio, which is kind of weird. Okay. On December 1st, 1913, she was the eldest of three daughters born to Mary and Charles Salter. So we've got a middle, we've got an oldest. Mm-hmm. Uh, her father had a master's degree in history. He actually worked at a manufacturing firm. Her mother was trained as a nurse, but she was a homemaker okay. at the time. Uh, in 1918, her father's manufacturing firm transferred him and the whole family to Toronto, Canada. Went to and Canada. Yes, and that's why Mary is kind of referred to as a Canadian-American because she grew up, basically, she spent the rest of her childhood. When was she? How old was she? Uh, 1918, so she was six years old. Oh, no, so yeah, five she, years old. So she's pretty small, yeah. Five years old. Don't do math very well. <laughs> Maths. <laughs> Maths are hard for me. Research says that Mary was a precocious child. I oh, like I that love that. Because Anna, you were a precocious child. I'm still a, child. I'm a precocious adult. You're a precocious person. Precocious person. Um, she was very thirsty for knowledge, and she started reading by the age of three Wow. kind of sounds like you too. That seems you, early. You Well, maybe you faked it, but you were pretty good. <laughs> I was just, mom, you I was just... holding the books upside down. My hand is so good at reading. <laughs> you were very good at reading. Okay. But you were precocious, that's for sure. Once a week, the family would all go to the little local library and the mother would help her to select appropriate books from a very early age. Fun. She was an avid reader. But actually, she was very close with her father. And her father assumed the duties of tucking the kids in at night and singing to them. Aww. So she would always report that she had had a very warm relationship with her father. On the other side of that, she did not have a very good relationship with her mother. And actually, she would later report that the relationship she had with her mother was kind of marked with jealousy. That the mother was jealous of the bond she had with her father. And so she would get in there and kind of try to... It's like a reverse a, electric complex. Isn't that, exactly. Huh. Um, so she kind of held some resentment about that and didn't was never very close to her mother. Mary held resentment about it? Mary did, yes. Which is interesting, considering the the kind of research she did. Mary excelled in school, and she decided to become a psychologist after reading a book called The Character and the Conduct of Life. Well, that's a title. That's a pretty good title. John didn't write that one. Johnny. It would have been like, life has things. (laughs) John wrote it. And here it is. (laughs) Life is for the living. She was 15 years old when she read that book. Life needs things to live. If any of you are Critical Role fans, that is a Critical Role That will make sense to them? Okay. So she started classes at the University of Toronto at the age of 16, where she was only one of five students who were admitted into the honors course in psychology. Wow. She was a bright little bulb. (laughs) Bright little bulb. (laughs) She was. Uh, She completed the coursework for her bachelor's degree in 1935, and she decided to continue her education at the University of Toronto with the intention of earning a doctorate in psychology. So she had high aspirations. She did earn her master's degree in 1936, and then her PhD was granted in 1939. Wow. A smart cookie she was. By the way, Mary's dissertation was entitled, An Evaluation of Adjustment Based on the Concept of Security. That's attachment theory. Which is totally attachment yeah, theory. That's, that's what her, up attachment yeah. theory. Yeah. So that's what her dissertation was about and set the stage for the rest of what she was going to do with her life. Calling adjustments interesting. I mean, I guess, yeah, just adjusting through life. But right. Yeah. That kind of goes back to you and I have talked about that everybody has adjustment issues. Right. Because we're always going through something. Yeah. Always yeah. in our life. So right after that time when she got her PhD, she actually joined the Canadian Women's Army Corps. All right. In 1942. By the way, while she was in the army, her job was kind of as a clinician. Okay. And she worked with the troops and how they were dealing with the stuff that was going on there and and kind of back to she was doing trauma when work, you talked basically. about yeah, when you talked about the officers. Yeah. She did yeah. a little bit of that too, like assessing who would be better to be leaders and that kind of thing. So there's kind of a similarity there with Bowlby. Yeah. In some of the stuff that he did. Well, and they were contemporaries. Mm-hmm. You're getting to that probably. 
Well, sort of. Yeah. They met each other. They became buddies. They became buddies. They were buddies. My friend. <laughs> so after the war, uh, Mary went back to Toronto where she was teaching. He's, he's like, yeah, John Woolby's my friend. And he's like, I don't like to use that word. It reminds me of my childhood. <laughs> <laughs> And he's triggered and he, <laughs> he starts goes into twitching like and flashbacks stuff, of his panic nanny. attacks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, okay, we're not that thing. We're just acquaintances. <laughs> we're buddies, I we're guess. Buddies, he's buddies. Like, yeah, okay. yeah. One of the things I thought was interesting that was like way off the track was one of the things that she did some research was she worked on a revision of the Rorschach. Rorschach. That's a hard word. I can't anyway. say that when I'm sober. Rorschach. So. Yeah. Rorschach. Rorschach. A revision of it? Yeah. Interesting. We still need to talk about Rorschach tests. I know. Put that on the list. Oh, okay. Um, She got married to Leonard Ainsworth. That's where her name came from. Mm-hmm. Who was a graduate student in psychology at the University of Toronto. She married him in 1950. So what I was reading was there was already kind of some tension. Because she had all this accomplishment already. And he was still a graduate student. So there was a little bit of... And in 1950 that would have been a little... Sure. Eh, even uh, now there's yeah, even kind now of there some might tension be some of that. It. She helped him. And one of the things I was reading is that she allowed him him to finish his PhD. Not sure what <laughs> that was it, about. Mary. <laughs> yeah. Uh he finished his PhD at the University College in London, but their marriage only lasted until 1960. Oh, wow. It was a very bitter divorce in 1960. However, during the 10 years that they were married, and this is significant, that was the time where they were kind of traveling around to different places because of his career. Oh. Which might have been part of the issue. Yeah. But during that time, it gave Mary the opportunity to meet Da da da, John Johnny? Bowlby, Edward John, Edward Johnny. They worked together a little bit, and also significantly during during that ten years, because of one of his jobs, they moved to Kampala, Uganda. Oh, wow! Which was where she did uh, her first mother infant observation. That was a huge part of the next step that we're going to talk about next. Okay. So that was a big deal. She did all this. And she really embraced that time. She learned the language and she became very close to the people in that area. And did she have a lot on like what cultural differences there were? A lot. Yeah. Yeah. But she said that she felt like every person who was in the field of psychology should go to different cultures to, yeah. to realize that our culture has so much yes, to do with exactly. the way yeah. we deal with life. You we know? take it for granted, but so much of like we're even, I remember talking about in grad school how IQ tests, we have to be aware of how our culture has shaped those. Right. And how if we're giving them to people of other cultures that they may not be fair. It's huge. It's yeah. huge. Yeah. Exactly right. Okay, so late in their marriage, Mary followed her husband to Baltimore, and there she spoke on clinical psychology at Johns Hopkins University. Wow. In 1958, she was given a permanent position as an associate professor. And there was this whole thing about how at that point in time, around 1958, at Johns Hopkins, (laughs) the men in the university were not allowed to, like, eat with the women. Isn't that weird? What? In 1958. 58? Yeah. She had to work really hard for like two years to get a position that she should have gotten like the day she walked in the door. Yeah, for sure. Because of all of her um, accomplishments already. The sexism discrimination thing was horrible at John Hopkins at the time. I mean, listen, I don't want to get too much of my soapbox, but there, how I much was, of it has changed? Oh, come on. A little bit of it has since 1958. Oh, not Okay, not a lot of it. Not all of it. But yeah, but that's your soapbox, so you need to say I can't get else? too high on my soapbox because it'll hit the glass ceiling. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> okay. Okay, there's a note here. During the time at John Hopkins, Ainsworth's professional relationship with John grew. And while he had previously been like her mentor, they started to work together as equal partners at this point. Okay. And they would exchange paper drafts for comments. They would help each other with their papers. Um, and they would find times to sometimes meet with each other. John, busting through that glass ceiling. That's right. He's like, this girl, let's work together. John, <laughs> screw everyone Good else. Job, I John. respect you, John. <laughs> So, among other things, he was primarily in London at this time, and Bowlby gave Ainsworth a copy of a new paper that was called, and this is a pretty good title for John, <laughs> The Nature of the Child's Tie to His Mother. Okay. Well, that's a, you know, that's it's a, got a little bit of description. It's a little bit of flower. <laughs> the nature. 
teenager part. But you notice that it was specifically mother. Yeah. And that, that reflects the time. Right. And he was asking Ainsworth for comments on this because specifically of her work in Uganda. And oh, he kind of okay, thought cool. that she would have some special insight there. And she did probably. Okay. So in 1965, Ainsworth designed what we know her best for before she created the different types of attachment. This is what led to it. Right. It was called the strange situation procedure. Better That's name it. than that, anything John has come up with. Sorry, saying, John. Love you. Love you. But like, situation. She named it. John did not. And it was a it was a way of assessing individual differences in attachment behavior. And so I'm going to kind of try to describe a little bit how it happened. But if you're more interested, if you really get interested in this and you want to see it, there are lots of videos online that actually show you how it happened. Like right. they're the actual recordings, which is kind of oh, cool because they're dressed so cool. <laughs> Um, from those days. That's the only the reason. Forget days. the psychology. I know, just look the at their cool dresses. Just look at the clothes. And the little babies are dressed so cute. It's just. <laughs> but there is a baby in one of those videos that really reminds me of you, Anna. <laughs> I, th- I don't know. For some reason, it was the way that she reacted when the mom walked out of the room. It's just a face. <laughs> I was like, oh gosh, that was so Stricken. Anna. Stricken. <laughs> yeah. My mom. So. <laughs> my mom. My mom. That's still, what, that's still what I do when mom walks out of the room. <laughs> my mom. Where's my mom? <laughs> Mom, because the whole idea here is that you can't get too far away from your mom. Well, from your from your person. What was that called in that other the most significant person? What was that called? Remember the three letters? Oh, the M. More knowledgeable other. Yeah, more knowledgeable other. Okay, yeah, this is different. <laughs> this, but, but we need to give it letters. Sure. So it's like most significant person. I don't know what most <laughs> most, most on top of it <laughs> maternal figure. Mom Mom. for short. Oh, God, that's so perfect. Okay, that's going to be our word. Okay, our acronym. that's going to be our word. Copyright. We made that up right now. Nobody has ever used that before. Okay, so let me tell you, you have to picture this in your mind. Okay. The procedure is divided into eight episodes. That's a lot. Each episode is lasting about three minutes. We have more episodes. (laughs) We do. (laughs) We're more famous We're than more the famous situation. Okay, so in the first episode, the infant and his or her caregiver, which in these videos is always the mommy, but we're going to call it the caregiver, enter into, the way they word it is, a pleasant laboratory setting <laughs> with many toys. Oh. After one minute, which is not very long, not really. a person unknown to the infant enters the room and slowly tries to make acquaintance. And in the videos, usually the baby's like, yeah, whatever, because mommy's right What's here up, and man? it's all cool. Strangers, yeah, cool. But then, dun, 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 the caregiver leaves the child with a stranger for three minutes. That's a long time. I know. And then returns, and the caregiver departs for a second time, leaving the child alone. For three minutes again. Like without the stranger? No, because in this scene, then the stranger tries to offer the baby comfort. The oh. first time, they just sit there and let the baby go off. And they do. <laughs> the second time, the caregiver tries to comfort the baby. And then finally, the caregiver returns and picks the baby up and comforts the baby or gives the baby whatever he needs or she needs. Sure. As the movement between the behavioral systems, the interplay of exploration and attachment behavior you know, so they're watching like how the baby acts not only when the mom is in the room, but when the mom is gone and how the baby reacts. All of that is being observed. Right. Okay. So they're each three minutes long, but it takes about 20 minutes. The whole thing takes sure. about 20 minutes or so. So in this, the original strange situation, <laughs> that sounds, it reminds me of that Stranger Things Stranger Things, things yeah. This was the original Stranger Things. <laughs> there were 26 children. Which is not a huge number. It's not, not even not 44 thieves size. worth. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> not even. How many babies does it take to make 44 thieves? So in the original study, Mary placed all of the 26 children into one of three classifications, which we'll talk about in just one second very briefly, because we'll actually do like a whole episode on what each yeah. one of those means. And each of these groups reflects a different kind of attachment relationship with the caregiver. And it implies different forms of communication and emotional regulation. We love that word. Yes. Emotional regulation and ways of responding to the threats in the room or the things that scare the kids. So actually the strange situation experiment, it had all kinds of implications. I mean, in all different directions. Yeah. But there was also a lot of criticism about it. One of the criticisms was that Shouldn't there was... Shouldn't you be in the kitchen? <laughs> Lady, why are you doing experiments? And John's like, leave my buddy alone. 
one of the big criticisms was there was too much emphasis on the mother. Oh, well, sure. And did not measure just general attachment style. That but was, what we've learned is general attachment style starts with the primary caregiver who is usually the mother. Exactly. We can, we don't have those general attachments without having a primary caregiver attachment. And probably one of the biggest criticisms, which kind of goes back to what we talked about a minute ago, was that it was too focused on middle-class American families. Sure. So there was no cultural well, variety. Well, that's you a comment, which is variation. surprising since Mary was behind it. You would think that she would have been more... Although if, we, if you only have 26... Like a sample size that well, small. Well, she was in Baltimore in the, what? She's like, is there a black 60s? person here who I can just... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, is there wait, anyone of wait. any kind of color Baltimore in the anywhere? 60s, I have seen hairspray. <laughs> I do know that there are black people in Baltimore They were in the dancing 60s. for the hairspray show. Yeah. They were, yeah. There's, they were busy. They couldn't go. Were. So the whole test lasts around 20 minutes, and the test was administered to infants aged between 12 and 24 months. Okay. So they were pretty little, little yeah. guys. But that goes back to that two-year thing that you were talking about, yeah, that that's significant kind of where the mark. Cutoff. So they, while they were observing the kids, they basically were observing four elements of behavior that were going to determine the attachment type of each kid. And the four things they were watching was how much does the child explore the surroundings, whether it was when mom was in the room or not. Yeah. What is the child's reaction when the parent leaves? So in that moment, does the child express any anxiety with the introduction of the stranger when the child is alone? Because one of the things is that when the child's alone in the room, a stranger comes in. That's one of the episodes. Oh. So there's different episodes that I didn't, I just talked about the one part. And the last one is the behavior of the child when interacting with the parent, both when the there's a stranger in the room, when there's no stranger in the room, how the babies are acting just toward the caregiver. Right. So then depending on those things that they observe, they put these children all into one of actually the three categories okay. because at that point, Mary only had three. Mary titled them anxious, avoidant, insecure attachment, secure attachment, okay. and anxious, resistant, insecure attachment. Later on, someone else came into the picture. Her name was Mary Main. Only Marys are allowed to do attachment I know, I theory think, styles. And, the, and then uh, John's mom was Mary too. Yep. So maybe it's a Mary thing. It's a Mary thing. Mary Main did some experimentation and added disorganized, disoriented attachment. Yes. But actually Mary Ainsworth put her seal of approval on it officially in oh, 1990. Good. Okay. She said this is absolutely true. She like called him, like she had A, B, C... And then this was D, and they added D, and and oh, she okay. and she put her stamp of approval and said absolutely. The only bit of like a footnote she said with her approval was, even though I'm putting my stamp of approval on this D, it looks like there's <laughs> also more that could oh, come sure. later. Yeah. So she was saying we might still get more. Like I love this D. Yep. Stamp <laughs> of approval. Stamp of approval. And Mary Ainsworth died in 1999. Oh. She had a stroke and died. But she did a lot, a lot, a lot. Yeah. And I really want to talk about the styles of attachment, but we're not going to do that today. Okay, yeah, you've given us the names, mm-hmm. and we're going to talk about them next time, like right. what they actually mean. So there's secure, there's anxious avoidant, there's anxious ambivalent is what I've seen it written as. Okay. And there's disorganized, disoriented. Okay. So in our yes. next installment of attachment. Anxious, anxious ambivalent is the, re- the, the one that I one. said resistant, yeah. So but I think we use ambivalent more often. That's the one I've heard it yeah. as more. And it is really interesting, guys. When we when we talk about this, please, sipsters, be sure you listen to that episode because it is so interesting to hear it and to think about. I don't know about you, Anna, but I right away, I first thing I think about is is kids I'm working with right now. Yeah, the kids that I work with in my office that I'm like. Bam, it's right on the head. And then I also think about just people I know. Right. Both children and adults because this translates into how you react to people and you relate to people as an adult. Mm -hmm. And we'll also in that episode talk about, well, what do you do about that? Not only with children who are currently in that situation, but with adults. Like, So if I am an adult and I have anxious, avoidant, insecure attachment from childhood, what do I do in therapy to help me to change that because we do as therapists believe that we can change our programming in that yeah but it takes a lot of work yes it takes time and effort time and effort exactly that we have to choose to make that difference because somebody can't just change us no we have to say this is the way I am that name it claim it tame it thing that we talked about I had a client this week who said she just wants someone to fix her Mm. and I had to be like that's you 
you get to fix you. Sorry, I can't do that. Your family can't do that. Your friends can't do that. That's you, bud. Sorry. Mm -hmm. So I think this is significant for all of us who maybe are concerned. Like if you're a parent or grandparent or someone who knows a child who is struggling with certain behaviors, sometimes those behaviors are because of their attachment issues. A lot, a lot of times actually. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, if you're an adult and you think, well, why can I not really have a healthy relationship? Or that might be an attachment thing from your childhood. So so I really do encourage you to listen to the follow-up episode on this one to find out about what this means to us. Please do. As peoples. As peoples. It's important information. Humans. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Can I give you a few more parenting Please facts? Please do. We got to have some parenting facts to take us out. Okay. Give it. Some of these <laughs> might take, take you us out. out. Give me a few more numbers. Uh, 22. Babies in Bali are not allowed to touch the ground until they are three months old. Touching the ground earlier is thought to defile their purity. Oh, That's good. They get little papooses for three months. <laughs> <laughs> that means they don't get to roll around on the floor. Like, I guess. Like we do here. They can still get tummy but time, yeah, probably. But yeah, I think as long as they're held, that's probably very healthy for the first three months. Yeah. Okay. So that's not all bad. That's okay. I'm okay with that one. Um, How about 17? A 1932 U.S. government pamphlet suggested that parents should start toilet training their babies right after birth. Oh, my God. <laughs> Just take what your baby. Don't give right in the toilet. <laughs> Hold them over the toilet. Oh my gosh. Well, that would save on the landfill diaper problem, but that boy. That would. That would be very time consuming, I would think. Okay, you do some that you think are, are interesting. Well, there was one. I got to find it. There was one that goes with that. A movement called Elimination Communication, EC, advocates raising children diaper-free from birth. Wow. I don't know what that means. Does that mean you just poop in your clothes? Does it mean <laughs> you, you toilet train from birth? Uh, probably. Okay. You don't wear clothes. You don't just, wear? You don't wear clothes. <laughs> you just hold them over the toilet a lot. I guess. Hold them over the toilet. That's a lot of That's a lot of my life is just holding if babies over toilets. you would have a, a very scheduled baby that would like go at a certain time all the time. You just run to the toilet and hold them over there. And- <laughs> oh, it's three o'clock. <laughs> It's been 20 minutes. Here we go. <laughs> I mean, I guess if you were really, really, no. Not <laughs> no, <laughs> no. I can't justify No, there's this. no, there, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> what else you got? In Japan, children as young as four are allowed to ride public transportation, walk to school, and run errands by themselves. Four? Holy crap. Very small. <laughs> That's so small. You can't even get a four-year-old to walk in a straight line at school down the hallway. How do you get them to get on the bus you and go get some? put them on buses so they don't have yeah. to walk so far. <laughs> put them on the bus. Go get some groceries for me, kid. In a 1958 issue of Mother and Baby, an article suggested that women who felt sad after having a baby should not see a psychiatrist or doctor. Rather, they should strip furniture to feel better. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Oh, this one's good, too. In an effort to expose their babies to fresh air and sunlight, city dwellers in the early 20th century hung baby cages outside their windows and placed their babies in them. Have you seen pictures of of that? I have. It's literally like, it looks like a hamster cage, but you attach it to your window like Uh, air conditioning style. uh Can you imagine putting your baby out there like that? (laughs) Oh, that's so horrible. (laughs) To get the fresh air. Just don't open a window or anything. Put your hang your baby walk in the park. Maybe would be walk. Do anything but hang them. Hang hang your babies over toilets. Hang them out windows. (laughs) Hang your babies various places. (laughs) They were very into baby hanging back then. (laughs) Okay, should we do one more? Yeah, give me a number. Thirty-one. While American parents are typically okay with baby walkers. Canada banned them in 2004. Walkers cause more injuries than any other baby product and may delay motor and mental development. Canadians can be fined or jailed for even owning one. Oh my god! Contraband baby walkers. <laughs> Black market baby walkers. You loved walkers. your baby walker when you were little. You turned out all right. That's why I'm so that stunted little, mentally. That little round, yeah. <laughs> that little round thing. Do not have motor development. None and you, I would hear you in the other room going... <laughs> Like running, running against the wall. the wall. Yeah, that's really good like for my mental development. <laughs> you were like the rumbo when you were a baby. Help, I'm stuck. Help. That's a, you Help. know, if I would know then what I know now, I would have put like tape on your feet. 
and then stuck you could just, on the Roomba. No, and then you could like walk around oh, and pick up stuff like sure, the Roomba sure, does sure. now. You could have been the tape little Swiffers to my feet. There, there you go. That would have been even smarter. <laughs> this episode oh, sponsored by Swiffer <laughs> and duct tape and duct <laughs> and Roomba. What other names can we drop? So. <laughs> I didn't talk about the placenta nearly as much as I thought I would. You <laughs> didn't so choose glad. any of the placenta I, facts. I avoided the placenta You're, facts, like the plague, yeah, because yeah. I am not a big fan of talking about placenta, because <laughs> it's usually pretty gross when you talk about it. I got to be honest. Do I talk about the placenta often? You, no, not you, you personally. Oh, okay. I mean, like when anyone talks about sure, placenta. Sure, yes. It's... I honestly don't remember you ever talking to me about, about any You phrase placenta. it like anytime Anna starts going <laughs> Anna on a placenta rant. About- it's one of her soapboxes. <laughs> Get out of my placenta, placenta soapbox. <laughs> Gross. All right, Mom, will you thank the people for oh putting goodness. up with us? I will. Thank you so much for putting up with us. <laughs> <laughs> and we, we do thank you for joining us for this episode, and we encourage you to join us in just a couple weeks when we do our next episode about attachment. So don't forget, yes. be sure to come back and, and listen to that one. But we always really appreciate that you listen and that you tell your friends to tell listen to and get some merch so that you can get the word out there. And give us reviews because that is a really good way for people to find us too. Mm-hmm. If we get more reviews, we'll go up charts and things so more people will find us. It's like a it's a good, healthy cycle. Mm-hmm. So give us reviews. Help the cycle. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, social media, all of it. We're Freudian Sips Pod on everything our site is freudiansipspod.com the merch link is available on our site if you want to get a hold of us directly email us at freudiansipspod at gmail.com like i said please remember to leave us a nice rating interview itunes Podchaser, wherever you can do that we've gotten a few really nice facebook reviews so just we appreciate all of it thank yes. you thank you thank you our theme music is sweeter vermouth by kevin mcleod it sounds like this <laughs>